Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of The Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thanks for being here with me today. My conversation today is with Wendy Sterling, who co-authored the book How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder, The Plate-by-Plate Approach, which she co-wrote with Casey Crosby. Now, this is a book that has really revolutionised the way we can implement dietetic care into family-based work in eating disorder treatment. I absolutely loved this conversation with Wendy because having dietitians involved at all levels of care really makes sense to me, and in all models of treatment, it feels really important It has actually never made sense that dietitians would not be involved in eating disorder treatment, yet we're still seeing it. What I love most about Plate by Plate is that it's no numbers, it's a visual model, and it also circumvents the rigidity of the eating disorder and fast tracks people towards more, quote unquote, normalized eating. It's inclusive and suitable for all age groups, although it has been traditionally designed mostly for use with parents and families. Wendy and I talk about how we can use plate by plate if families are on wait lists for FBT or mental health support, which is absolutely critical, but it's not always accessible. And again, the wait lists now more than ever. So dietitians are in an amazing position to get in there and do some work. Let me tell you a little bit about Wendy. So Wendy Sterling is a certified eating disorders dietitian and sports dietitian as well. She's a supervisor through IADEP and a board certified specialist in sports dietetics. She's the team nutritionist of Oakland Athletics and was the former nutritionist for the New York Jets and Golden State Warriors, which my kids were very happy to hear. She is the owner of Sterling Nutrition a nutrition private practice in the Bay Area and utilizes a non-diet health at every size approach. She is the author of the aforementioned How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder. And she and her co-author, Casey Crosby, created the innovative approach to refeeding called the Plate by Plate. It's been featured in the Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is amazing. Uh, Definitely go check that out. Um, Any kind of literature on a model of care is just absolutely amazing. Wendy is also the co-author of No Way, A Teen's Guide to Body Image, Food and Emotional Wisdom. She and her co-authors have an upcoming book due out in late 2021 for parents who want to help their teens with with body satisfaction and their relationship to food. Wendy received her BS in Dietetics and Nutritional Sciences from Cornell University, and she earned her master's degree in Nutrition Education at Teachers College at Columbia University, where she also completed her dietetic internship. Oof, thank you so much, Wendy. You are a busy, busy woman, and I'm very grateful to have had this conversation with you. So in 2021, in the coming months, it's now March, I am also thrilled to be collaborating with EDRD Pro on a binge eating disorder training series for dietitians. Registrations will be opening in April 2021. So if you're interested, see www.edrdpro.com 
edrdpro.com for more details. And if you're a dietitian looking for like-minded people, check out the Mindful Dietitian Facebook group. It is a closed group, so I will be asking you some questions, but we have a ton of interesting discussions about weight-inclusive care and dietetic practice. Also at the Mindful Dietitian, you can check out online training opportunities, which are available in both short and longer term form, which include eating disorders, just generally eating disorders in sport, body image, mindful eating skills, and so much more. You can also check out past podcast episodes in the same place, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation that I had with Wendy Sterling. She is spectacular and talented in so many ways. I hope this leaves you feeling invigorated and energized if you are a dietitian working in eating disorder care, because uh, plate by plate is definitely a model that we should all be familiar with, I believe. So grab your um, grab your copy of how to nourish your child through an eating disorder at your uh, favorite uh, bookseller, whether that is local or online or available in ebook form as well. Can't recommend it enough. Hope you really enjoy this conversation and look forward to staying connected. Hello, Wendy, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It is so fantastic to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, now, let's get started with, if you don't mind stepping us through your career as a registered dietitian, maybe pausing at any moments which feel really formative or influential, and then bring us up to what you're doing today. Sure. I was lucky enough to start my career in New York in a large multidisciplinary eating disorder center in adolescent medicine. I think I thought I was supposed to start my career in clinical nutrition because I was going to check that box, but actually this job was available and I was really eager to be in outpatient care in a multidisciplinary setting and this was available. And there I saw lots of adolescents. We conducted research. We did indirect calorimetry tests. Um, and I really would say I learned everything I know, set my foundation up for really what would be the rest of my career up until now. We had tons of physicians and psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors. We were doing um, just really interesting work. Um, I, I was working with a lot of athletes there, and it was there that I really broke into sports while I was um at this facility because I got tapped to interview for the New York Jets and I got involved in professional sports and I was doing both of them simultaneously. Um, so I was doing that and then at some point I relocated to California for um, an opportunity in my husband's job and that's where I came to meet Casey Crosby, my co-author of How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder. We were working together at a partial hospitalization program and um, work together and we're doing this plate model thing that we were doing together. And I kind of looked at her one day and I was like, this is awesome. You know, we, we need to write this up and develop this further. And we sort of just were side by side in a program together and really built it up. Um, while I was in New York, as I'm in California as well, the ex-Jets general manager had connected me with the Golden State Warriors. Um, and so I was doing some pro sports out in the California area and then eventually got connected with the Oakland A's where I am working currently, which is a um, MLB team. Um, so I'm doing baseball and currently in a private practice and working on books and so on and so forth. 
So spare time is at a premium, I'm guessing. Uh, yes. Oh, and I have two kids, by the way. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's who, who I love dearly and I, I love to spend some time with. That is, oh, that is fantastic. So, uh, you know, as well as having a, a very varied career, you have really, you and Casey, what you've done with Plate by Plate is just absolutely, uh, well, it, I don't even really have words for it in terms of, the way that this has revolutionized oh I'm, and I don't use that word lightly because um, as I've shared with you I have an FBT train training background as well and very similar to you I have that sports background as well um, and you know implementing uh, dietetic work into family-based treatment we'll just call that FBT from now on has been um, somewhat of a, an enigma really in lots of ways you know it, classically or traditionally in FBT it's been uh, you know said that you know the, the the parent knows how to feed the child yeah and that that is true if your child doesn't have an eating disorder and that is absolutely true if you're not stressed out of your brain about whether your child will eat their next meal or whether they can or whether they're able to contain an exercise compulsion for example so uh so i would really love if it feels okay for you to tell us a little bit about fbt for people who are not as familiar with it as a as a model um and then how plate by plate or the plate by plate approach supports parents when they are aiming to support the young person through this process. Yeah, so what you described is 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 exactly spot on that FBT has this, you know, mandate that parents know best what to do, yet it really offers no formal path and let me also just add for the listener that it also recommends that there's no registered dietitian involved typically and classically in the journey of somebody undergoing FBT and the reason for that is because they're saying that parent knows best and the presence of a dietitian automatically takes away from the expertise of the parent. And so, um, you know, the suggestion of a meal plan or meal ideas coming from an expert like the dietitian would disempower the parent. And so historically it's really been left out and it's been a little bit of a, a slight to dietitians like myself, perhaps like you, like others who've worked in the field for decades, all of a sudden to then be told, nope, sorry, you can't be involved in this treatment. This treatment is for the therapist and the family only. Um, but what really was happening is I, I moved to California. Uh, FBT was rampant here. Um, Dr. James Locke, uh, is right out of Stanford. Dr. Daniel Lagrange uh, is up at UCSF, and there's lots of therapists that are FBT certified. And uh, Casey was doing the plate model at Healthy Teen Project uh, there, and we developed uh, this approach. and And really, what was happening is that parents were coming to us saying, "Okay, I know I'm not supposed to come to you." <laughs> they say, "Don't find help with a dietitian," but the truth is, like my kids constipated and they're bloated and uh, you know they my child needs so many calories which just to insert you know the process of nutrition rehabilitation for these patients undergoing for some who need weight restoration not everybody needs weight restoration but for those that do can be two times three times baseline parents had no clue what to do with that um, and even if they did 
and they were really nutritionally savvy, like this, as you mentioned, was not like their typical marching orders of feeding uh, their average kid. And so they really felt immobilized. I mean, they were frozen and there was this psychological crisis, this medical crisis, and they really were coming to dietitians for, for help. And so we really wanted to try to figure out how to do something that could be compatible, that wouldn't take away or disempower the parents and really work alongside of the parents to be able to feed their child. And so we, we really kind of um, liked that this plate model was non-prescriptive. Our language, our, our kind of approach was really collaborative. Um, we went in and presented to Daniel LaGrange and his staff, and we we really said, hey, you know, these parents are frozen, and and what if, rather than disempower, what if actually by the time they're done meeting with us, they actually felt empowered? What if they had more tools, not less? Um, and they went off and they they thrived, right? So the plate by plate, really, uh, the reason I think people have liked it is because other approaches like counting calories or exchanges, I'm not sure if the audience, you know, counting calories, I think is fairly obvious, but exchanges are historically used across treatment centers to re-nourish uh, patients. And what that is, is it's the diabetic exchange system, which breaks food down into various categories. And so it might make it such that all foods are, in are included, like a brownie could be like two breads and two fats. Um, but then it gets complicated with recipes or foods from home um, or uh, foods can be complicated like pizza might be two breads, two meats, a vegetable, a fat. And, you know, and parents were often excluded from that process because they often had no clue what was going on <laughs> when it came to <laughs> figuring this yeah. out. Um, and sometimes they got manipulated. You know, the kids would, you know, manipulate the numbers a little bit. So, um, so, and the other thing that would happen and in New York, where I used to work, I came from an exchange based program. And that what, what I used to find when I would transition kids off the exchange program is that because, you know, you're never meant to stay on an exchange program forever. You know, anyone who does this knows we're transitioning people off um, that that basically they kind of had these remnants lingering yeah. in their mind kind of long after they were supposed to be doing intuitive eating. So mm -hmm. they would look at the plate and the plate would still look like three meats, two breads, a vegetable, a fat, kind of looking at that. And so Casey and I said to ourselves, like, well, what if the plate was, you know, just the plate, you know, from the beginning to the middle, to the end, right on down to recovery, right? And so we love this idea of just no numbers, no counting, no measuring. And it, you know, you're just focusing on what's normal and it can be adjusted, it can be customized, it can be used across cultures um, for people who are vegan, vegetarians, lactose intolerant, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Do you know what I love most about it is what you said about circumventing some of the rigidity and some of the, uh, the, the counting that is very much, well, usually part of an eating disorder. Um, and you know, so many of my clients have said, I re the, the, one of the things I regret most is my eating disorder drawing me into the counting because now I can't have like a counting lobotomy. I, I almost can't, you know, I can't, I can't like erase that from my brain now, even though yes. I desperately want to. And what I have observed is that it, 
develops into its own little form of shame as well. It's like, why can't I stop? Why can't I stop? And that is extremely distressing for people, especially if they are much more psychologically, emotionally and physically ready to really, really shift away from that. And the effort required is it's massive. And so what I love, what I really love about this is even for kids and families who have found themselves um, in that counting mode early on, that the, the, the earlier and quicker we can get in there with um, the normalization of what a plate looks like or what, what, what a serve looks like, then it turns, like you said, the example of the pizza or the brownie being, you know, two breads and two fats. No, it's a piece of pizza it's a brownie that it turns it from nutrients into food which that's actually what I love most about it and circumvents all of the kind of the, the minutiae and the worry of um, what's in this and then more concentrates on the whole person and the recovery of the whole person. Yeah, and I remember when I was just starting um, at the Healthy Teen Project which is where I met Casey and I was working with a patient who had come from the exchanges and she kind of looked at me as she was trying to figure out how much dressing to put on her salad. And she looked at me and she's like, well, how much salad dressing do I put on? And she expected me to say a tablespoon, but I said, well, I don't, what looks normal? Like what, what feels, what, what's good? And she kind of paused, looked at me and kind of shrugged her shoulders and like put on what looked normal. Right. And it was early, kind of early on in her recovery. And I just thought like, yes, mm -hmm. like this is it. And like for me, even as a provider, I will never look back like ever. Right. Um, the thought that it could have been a tablespoon for her. And, and I think that's what happens with uh, exchanges is that it will always be ta a tablespoon for those people who did a tablespoon mm -hmm. with with dressing and I don't know about you but like have a salad with me one day and it will never be a tablespoon. <laughs> it's like it's like dressing on the side oh and can I get some extra please yes <laughs> and and also honors the way different people like to for example you know dressing or spreads or things like that you know over time we can honor you know the the, the volume of whatever that tastes good that feels good that yes. feels satisfying and to yes. be able to um start that uh attunement process as early on as possible and so I mean this is a beautiful example of when people say oh intuitive eating comes later which I don't subscribe to at all I there are there are aspects of becoming more aware of um, what we need and want remembering that want is different to need and you know we can all we all have uh, we all can have access to pleasure in food um, and that there are parts of that that you just spoke about. That, that that is that is one aspect of what we would describe of intuitive eating. Well, I don't know what what feels good, what what feels satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What what looks normal, even you know, and yeah, which which is is great. Yeah, like does a sing like a single scrape of peanut butter? Does that really really is that yeah. is that really what you would serve someone else? Right. Yeah, right. No, no. Nope. So when we show plates, um, we really try to make sure that they're they're full, the plate is full, that it looks balanced, that there's they look yummy. I mean, Casey and I talk all the time about this word of yummy. You know, when we show waffles and syrup, people will say to us, well, what food group is syrup? 
and we're like in the yummy category. I mean, that's in the yummy food group. <laughs> you know, it isn't a food group. I don't know. You know, I mean, you can't have waffles without syrup. So, no. um, yeah. It's, it's in the compulsory on waffles food group. I'm not sure. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, I think, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful example of the way that, I mean, even culturally or, um, you know, traditionally how there are some foods that, that um, go together. You know, and yes. and I, I don't mean that as a as an obligatory kind of thing, but more like okay, waffles and syrup. Like we're not going to go necessarily waffles and you know Vegemite, which is a traditional Australian spread, very salty, um, very yeah. tasty, but not waffles. Like that is white bread and butter is Vegemite, um, yeah. and you know, so kind of coming back to uh, you know matching foods together that. Um, you know, the, that kind of fit in terms of taste and texture. And that's one thing about in um, in the book in Plate by Plate, I would, I'll just call it Plate by Plate, but it's actually How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder, Yeah, the Plate by Plate approach. Um, and what I really like about it is you give very concrete examples of what different plates could look like, what a, a plate that isn't full looks like, um, what a plate that isn't well matched looks like. And what I really like about the way that you and Casey have delivered these sections, very non-judgmental. It's like, well, if you want to have jelly, um, I don't know, zucchini and I don't know, like mashed potato with with butter and salt as it's, you know, kind of designed to be, and then a piece of fish, well then, okay, but, you know, let, let, let's take a step back here and think, well, that could be ticking all the food groups. I didn't even check through it in my head. It's not, obviously, but, you know, it's, um, but you know, let's have a think about how this goes together. You know, would, would you serve this up to a friend who came for dinner or would they be like, hmm, what's, what's, what's this? interesting mix of food on my plate. Right. <laughs> yes. And cohesiveness is something that we talk about. Um, and I will say with FBT, we, de we tend to see that happen, that being less of an issue, because typically we see that parents do a really good job making sure the plate is really cohesive. But we do this plate by plate approach one on one with clients and adults uh, all the time. And it, we tend to see that when someone's doing it themselves, it can be the case that they are trying to tick the boxes, but that can sometimes happen, that you kind of end up with this random assortment, not necessarily because of plate by plate. It can be a combination of, I'm trying to tick the boxes, and also my brain is not thinking in terms of, oh, I should just put that all on a sandwich and take a bite. Mm. They're trying, they're thinking kind of still a little disordered, like I'm doing everything I can to try to avoid the sandwich. So instead I'm gonna take, and this is a real picture I can picture in my mind of a, a client of mine where she had like turkey slices and then like bulgur and then like some coleslaw and some, you know, uh, avocado. And I was just thinking, can't we just make a sandwich, you know? And like, just, you know, I don't know. You know, it seemed to me like an avoidance of trying to do that. And so, Sometimes our job is to also help people get back to, um, you know, where they used to be prior to the onset of the eating disorder. And it's not that I know all the answers of how they're supposed to be eating, but once upon a time prior to the uh, invasion of the eating disorder, there was comfort and peace and freedom. And we, we usually try to get people back to that. Yes, of course. I love that. It's perfect. Now, um, 
One of the things that's happening here in Australia, and I've no doubt at all it's happening worldwide, is that wait lists for FBT have really blown out. Just this week, I was in a meeting with other eating disorder specialist dietitians, and there was only about 12 of us in the meeting. So we're not talking about gold standard kind of um, uh, research here. We're talking about a complete straw poll. But interestingly, of the 12 people there, I think all of the major Australian cities were actually by some miracle were represented, which is really interesting and just pure luck, really. And the shortest time, shortest wait time um, seemed to be around three months. And that's in my city, right? But the longest wait time was up to six months for FBT. And of course, I know it's just, it's completely heartbreaking. And of course, what you and I and people listening might know about FBT is that one of the early, um, um, aspects of it is really um, emphasizing the urgency of getting onto it and all I can think of is these poor families being put on a wait list and then in session one having the like the urgency conversation and I'm thinking to myself what a what a kick in the teeth like what a kick in the teeth and so I have I mean I've been I've been telling all my supervisees and my local Australian community about plate by plate since the book came out because I'm just such a massive fan of it and I've been coming yeah it's just it's it's really amazing and and I will kid you not in the past month I have basically said to people if you do not have this book you need it if you I will order it for you I will send it to you because these families need help now even if you're not FBT trained like sign up for it fine whatever but like we need we need to really be helping people now and not be um getting kind of getting drawn into this idea of oh dietitian not welcome these families need help this book is a fantastic resource for us to be able to step us through so anyway that little vent over (laughs) (laughs) that little vent over for your support Uh, um yeah yeah so what my question for you with that little with that little rant kind of um, or that heartbreaking experience, really, this is because it's very real and it's continuing to go on today. Yeah. And it's global. It's really a global, just to, just to piggyback off that. And I've been following kind of it, it, this effect of COVID, which has been devastating globally. I mean, we're seeing exponential uh, increases in eating disorders in the UK, there are headlines saying, you know, there's a surge 66% increase in Ireland uh, headlines saying that. And then there's studies out in Saudi Arabia about increased eating disorders and emotional eating. And, and, and we're seeing it in the United States. I mean, all across, I'm seeing it in the Bay Area. And so this is a global trend. Mm-hmm. No, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So my question for you, Wendy, is if somebody, uh, well, okay, let, let's just pose this picture. A dietitian not necessarily FBT trained, has perhaps some familiarity, um, is willing to also be supervised, which is a very important part of working working in eating disorders in general, I would say, across the board. But, you know, for this situation in particular, working with young people, working with families, working with vulnerable groups. um, Could you give us an example of how um, a dietitian could maybe start with using the plate-by-plate approach um, 
if they're working with a family, maybe you've got a GP on board, that's fine, but they're on a wait list for FBT. And the assessment has been that, yes, this is a family who is suitable for FBT, so we're just going to pop them on the wait list. And it's just not possible. It's just not possible to have a therapist on board. How could we use how could we use the plate-by-plate approach? Yeah, I love you putting in all those qualifiers for me because you're calming all my anxiety about like they're on the wait list, they've got a GP, they, you know, you, you've already ticked a lot of my boxes so I can just go <laughs> into, into, uh, into this, uh, into the plate-by-plate. Um, well, so it's, it's actually a really easy approach to use. I mean, first, uh, in terms of just straight up following it, we usually talk about um, uh, using a 10-inch size dinner plate and um, you know, a dinner size plate. So we're not talking about a toddler size plate or a bowl. Uh, our eating disorder patients love to hide their food in bowls. And so we're really asking to kind of see what's going on on the plate. Um, and then we're asking them to plate all five food groups. And I often see kids having for breakfast, yogurt and blueberries or a banana or toast and butter and Vegemite. Well, I don't get the pleasure of seeing that, but I, I'm imagining in Australia, you might have some that are just doing that. Um, or is that more of an afternoon snack? I don't know. Um, Tradi- traditionally breakfast. And look, anytime. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to argue with the audience about when Vegemite is appropriate. <laughs> It's a a much contended discussion, Um, but traditionally breakfast, toast. Yes. So, so you might, you might be seeing these breakfasts that are, are missing, you know, key, key food groups. Um, And so we're asking not only that parents begin to uh, plate all food groups, but that they're also plating these meals that are full. And so, you know, and I, I show examples as I'm going through, um, you know, educating parents that, Uh, examples of uh, plates that maybe have all five food groups, but are tiny on the plate, like they're not filling out all the plate, right? So uh, just things to watch out for. And then we talk about a roadmap, Uh, how many meals, always it's three, Uh, and then how many snacks. So if the kid is doing one, uh, I try to let the parents as a la FBT to kind of say, oh, well, you know, um, we should, we're trying to increase, we should go to two. And so I kind of let them be the ones to make that next call. Uh, either they go to two or they go to three, depending. Um, and then uh, we always emphasize variety, which is a very key fundamental aspect of this plate-by-plate approach. I do that right from the beginning um, because I really want them to know that oatmeal every day or whatever it is gonna be every day um, is, is part of the eating disorder or part of the safety associated with the eating disorder. And so a lot of times the parents will say, oh, but they're just eating it, you know, um, and they're just gonna do that. And, and, or the kid will say, but I just love, you know, my toast and butter or my cereal or my oatmeal. And, you know, a lot of that just kind of doesn't rock the boat and keeps everyone mm-hmm. happy, but it keeps the eating disorder breathing and alive. And, and we wanna really say, uh, and I do this with the family. Okay, variety is important. Getting in all five food groups are, you know, are important. So what are some other ideas we can do to just get the variety muscle working and the adventure beginning, right? Um, and so sometimes it's challenging depending on where the kid might be, but we try to do that together. Um, we also talk about foods that the child used to like or the teen um, used to like before the onset of the eating disorder to get them thinking uh, that way, oh, they used to really like tortellini, like she won't touch it, you know? And so just trying to think about, uh, and this isn't something I'm saying, go do tortellini. It's more like, what does the parent feel in their gut 
given what we're talking about with the, with the importance of variety, that they might be able to try next, right? Or they might be able to introduce. Um, we always talk about cohesiveness, which you've, what you've heard us talk about. Um, and then we sort of just do, do this review. And, and one thing I will say before I launch into the teaching is I always, as, as a dietitian, as I'm sure most dietitians listening do, is we're always assessing in the beginning um, just what is the kid doing and, mm. you know, how is the kid hydrating and drinking and what's the caffeine like and are they binging purging? What are their energy requirements? Because we do have two versions of this plate by plate approach. One is a, a plate that is uh, comprised of 50% starch, 25% protein, 25% um, percent fruits and vegetables. And then the other plate is a one third, one third, one third plate where it's just one third starch, one third um, uh, a protein and then one third vegetables and or fruit and they all both plates have dairy and both plates have fats and for the most part I will say that most of our teens really do well on that 50% plate that you know that plate is really for active teens it's for anyone undergoing weight restoration it's for anyone doing intuitive eating growing um, it's, it's growing <laughs> exactly like growing that's Yes, exactly. And that's why I would say like far and away, most of our teens are, are doing that. But sometimes we use that one third, one third, one third plate for younger kids, or for somebody just as a gateway, like maybe when I do my assessment, their intake is so insufficient, that the parent might feel like it's such a huge jump to jump there. And so sometimes it that's fine, we'll just use an interim plate. Um, or if there's vomiting, and it's really difficult for them to, you know, keep the food down, we'll use it as an interim plate as well. So all of that is going on. And I and I literally in session, bring up my Instagram, or I have PowerPoints, but for the most part, I use my Instagram more so now. Um, I used to have these PowerPoints, and I would go through and it just it's it's just easier now, like now that I can share my screen and whatever. Um, and I go through visual visuals. So I'll, I'll bring up like what breakfast, what are target breakfast and what are target lunches, what are target dinners um, and what are some examples of snacks, um, which by the way, snacks would be a couple of food groups paired together to make a complete snack. This is so practical and helpful. So th thank you so much for kind of stepping us through that. So in the, um, for example, in the first three sessions where you're really setting the foundation along with the, the family. It just, I mean, uh, forgive me for getting into a little bit of the nitty gritty, but I, I, I kind of, I get a sense of what people will ask. So things like, um, would you have the whole family, would you be aiming to have the whole family there, including the young person? Would you want to be meeting with the parents? Would you ever meet with the young person on their own? Like, how would you, what would the room itself look like? I, I tend to have um, the parents and the patient um, I almost don't usually ever have siblings um, there for at least what I'm doing. Um, and typically as we move forward, I would say I either have both parents and the kid and or one parent and the kid, but I almost always have the parents and the kid um, for this work because the parents are doing the feeding. The only exception to that would be if I'm not doing FBT type parent led meals and I'm mm -hmm. doing this plate by plate approach with someone who's 18 or 20 or 25 or a young adult, you know, that would be kind of the only exception there. In which case you would do it more traditionally, like it's, you're working with an adult, but you're using this particular approach with the adult. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Got it. I can see it just being so helpful right across the spectrum, to be honest. 
Yeah, and I use this visual approach, interestingly, often with my non-eating disorder athletes mm, as well, yes. because it just, it makes sense. You know, I was, when I was um, at the Jets, there was a, a chiropractor who came on board um, who started doing this macronutrient counting with our guys. Um, and, you know, some people were very keen on that and there was this whole thing. And I, I was never into that. Um, and I can tell you that many of the guys, even at that level, uh, they were like, I mean, they, they were confused. Like they, they weren't into mm. that either. And so, mm -hmm. and so, you know, just visually to be able to show a guy uh, on the line, what his plate looks like uh, or what's, what's a good, you know, range. And these guys are intuitive eaters, you know? And so you show someone kind of roughly what a good combination of foods are, uh, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And then intuitively let the, let their body decide, you know, when to stop. Well, as you and I know, Wendy, and a lot of other people out there who are listening to this know that, you know, disordered eating attitudes, uh, experiences and behaviours are definitely rife in the sports setting. So being able to integrate any of the more um, normalising, supportive um, uh, approaches is absolutely going to be helpful across the board. Definitely. Yeah. So... Um, all right. What's my next question about this? I'm trying to I'm trying to channel all the questions that dietitians will ask about this. All right. So um, the other aspect of working with families, of course, is the uh, behavior of the eating disorder itself, or the or the strategies that the eating disorder uses. So, but um, just to clarify for people, what I am um, what I'm speaking about here is separating out the young person and their true selves from the eating disorder. So, the eating disorder might be very rigid, very controlling, um, very demanding. Very, um, we might say the eating disorder is on the edge, you know, on the um, side of manipulative. The young person themselves is compassionate and kind and thoughtful and so I just want to clarify for people when I say eating disorder I am not talking about the whole young person here I'm talking about um, the way in which uh, the brain changes as a result and and as a result you know behaviors change here um, so that's the other side of it for dietitians isn't it you know is that typically not always but typically eating disorders not super happy about plate by plate. <laughs> Not super enthusiastic, would you say? I mean, you know, let's let's give people a little bit of a snapshot about, you know, what we might expect if we're working with families here because what the last thing I would really want dietitians to think is, oh, well, we'll just do this and it'll all be good and the young person will, oh, they'll be fine with it. Yeah, no, they're probably not going to be fine with it. <laughs> so how do well, we kind I of support them? Yeah, well, I think that goes for any increase in volume when you're working with eating disorders. I mean, I, you know, they're never psyched about it, typically, uh, and it's always difficult, hence the eating disorder. I mean, it is, it's always difficult. But I, what I will say is that the feedback we've gotten has been really positive after they've gotten the hang of it and after they've gotten used to it. Uh, and comfortable with it. Um, I'm trying to think, not, you know, nothing specific is coming to mind, you know, imminently, but I, I feel like we we really do get people who are like, 
you know, they say things, even just today on Instagram, somebody was like, initially these plates looked huge. They were overwhelming, but you know, now I'm like, wow, I can eat this. You know, I really can, you know, the eating disorder has receded enough that I'm like, this is normal. This is what I eat. So I think initially the, the truth is that anything that's more than what somebody is currently doing is intimidating. And so um, what's nice in the outpatient setting is that it depends on someone's degree of severity, but, but often I think we can inch someone along, you know, in a way that feels, that feels comfortable if we have that luxury. Uh, and by that, I mean, it just sort of depends where the person's at. Um, and so if they can do it, often what comes with it and where I try to motivate someone is to, to get them back into their life. So for example, if it's an athlete I'm working with, um, often they are tired, they are weak, they've lost strength, they are not making gains, they've been benched because they're slower now. Um, and what's awesome is when they start doing this and they're now setting personal records. And I can't tell you how many I have. The joys of being a sports nutritionist doing this work. I mean, it is an added benefit to doing this work on top of eating disorder treatment, you know, being, you know, doing this uh, on top of that, because I get to see the benefits uh, tangibly in sports performance that occur. And so I think that that's the end, right? I mean, it's never fun for someone, but, but things have happened that have landed them here that are, that are taking them out of their life. Um, academically, college is on the horizon, socially, uh, whatever may be the case that hopefully though difficult, this is really their, their gateway and their ticket to life, to freedom, to wellness, to strength, mm -hmm. to power, to explosiveness. And so hopefully we really try to use that, um, even though it's scary. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of the scenario um, that I kind of mentioned before, and that is that any kind of psychological support is on the horizon. We're not too sure because a wait list is a bit of a nebulous thing. It could be one month, it could be three months. They've been told three months, it could be one. We're not too sure. And that uncertainty is just so tough for people. Mm. So I'm thinking of the situation where a dietitian is, well, along with a GP, is kind of being left to hold the proverbial baby, so to speak, and that the, you know, when parents are kind of struggling, not having that FBT style of containment and really beautiful, warm support um, can really leave the GP and the dietitian with a, with a bit of a task, really, in terms of helping parents um, really come to terms with what, what to expect in terms of, you know, moving forward, because this is, it's definitely not part of our foundational training. It's uh, traditionally, well, even with FBT, this is not, unless we are the primary uh, uh, therapist or primary worker with, with a family, um, that we're not used to um, being able to speak with parents about the, the, you know, she won't do it. They won't do it. He, what, he, he, what if he refuses? What if they sit there for two hours? What if this, what if that? And I think that's maybe where a lot of dietitians, if we are in this scenario, which I am painting, which I desperately hope won't last. Um, I think this is where we kind of get a bit, I don't know that we get stuck, I just think it's really hard and all of us are up to our eyeballs already in clients. Um, I know I'm painting a little bit of a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just, I feel like I'm painting a little bit of a like worst case scenario picture, but I feel like that's kind of where we're at at the moment is real talk. You know, we don't have that support. 
So how do we kind of have those conversations with parents? Do you mean, um, when you say, how do we have those conversations? Do you mean like you and I, or do you mean, or, yep. I, I mean, I think that um, the reality is I, I might not have it with them in advance, but if, if it does happen, we always tell parents that if they're not finishing to offer them uh, like an Enter Plus or a, a meal replacement, uh, usually meals should be, you know, we, we say a half, uh, half an hour and that snack should be about 15 minutes. Um, FBT it might linger longer. So you might set maybe an hour for a meal and a half an hour for a snack. Um, but at some point we, we call it, you know, you sort of just say, okay, this is going on for a while. I'm so sorry you didn't finish your meal. And unemotionally you offer two enter pluses, which is the equivalent. I don't know if you have enter plus over there. I'm sure we you do. do. It's, we yeah. do global. Um, so we would say, okay, two enter pluses for this meal. And, and that's that. Um, and then one enter plus for a snack. And, and we would just sort of do that so mm -hmm. that it's not going on forever. Um, and the expectation is they would drink the enter plus. And, and over time, if somebody's really unable to be compliant with, with even that, then we really start talking about a higher level of care. You know, we really start talking about, okay, this this really isn't working. And then maybe somebody needs to be in a residential facility or an inpatient unit at that point if they're not able to get their um, uh, direct uh, nutrients in, because if by that point they're not eating the meals and they're not taking the intra pluses, then I really start to wonder, are they losing weight? Are they becoming medically unstable? Right. What is actually happening? So either they could be looking at a medical hospitalization or potentially a residential facility. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, we could so go down that path again <laughs> of, um, you know, people for whom that's available, people for whom that's not available, but rather than going down that path, because we could continue on with this like, like forever for sure. Um, I would love to just change tack slightly and ask you a little bit about you know, uh, obviously you and Casey have this vision of how plate by plate can really help not only young people, but also whole families to begin to put back together their relationships with food and eating and even body image, because, you know, we can't kind of disentangle those from, from one another. So I, I'm curious about how you um, envision plate by plate as being really pivotal in um, helping to put these families kind of back together in their relationships with food and eating. Well, we're a big fan of family meals. And what we find happens is that all of a sudden when we start in family-based treatment or we start with the plate by plate approach and we're asking families to eat alongside of their children, suddenly the parent that kind of was skipping lunch or that wasn't really eating breakfast suddenly is sitting down with their child eating breakfast. And so uh, it brings families together for meals. And we know that there are so many benefits associated with meals, support and boundaries and helps you know foster identity and improve self-esteem and um, all kinds of things. And so there, so kids are uh, you know able to, and families are on this regular schedule. And we also know that family meals can really um, help with eating disorder prevention, you know, even before you're in this situation. So the idea of just being uh, on a schedule of family meals anyway, uh, is actually therapeutic and beneficial because parents can see what's on their kid's plate or what is not on their kid's plate. Um, and that can actually be really helpful. So for, um, 
it could it could be um, hypothesized that in some families, you know, there is tr uh, some transgenerational transmission of particular attitudes around food and eating and bodies. And what I see so strongly through plate by plate is this opportunity for transgenerational healing that, you know, when grandma is over and seeing, you know, what, what is being plated up or, you know, auntie martha or you know the next even the next door neighbor or you know extended extended family and friends you know and communities and how this is just the normalization of what goes on your plate that is culturally appropriate that is you know in line with families um ethics and you know um, family traditions and so forth that how the vehicle of food and eating is so incredibly healing. And I know that that seems a little bit um, perhaps trite or a little bit um, odd, odd to say, but so much healing does come through the vehicle of food. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is some healing in, um, you know, I, we often want the whole family to eat the same. And so ideally when possible, you know, there's no different food for that sibling or that sibling, you know, everybody might have different amounts as would be expected because everybody's different. And, um, but, but ideally as much as possible, there'd be the same food there. And so that also teaches that all foods are okay. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I think it, it normalizes the acceptance of, of eating. Um, across the family yeah and grandma if you're coming over for dinner you get a plate too <laughs> you should yeah, plate. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> totally oh, I, think, I think that's so wonderful now on exciting news um another one of the books that you have that you co-wrote with um Cigna uh, Darpinian and Shelley Agarwal which is called No Way I have heard little whispers that you have got the three of you have got a new book coming out so I would love it if you don't mind maybe giving us a little bit of a, a sneaky peek into what people can <laughs> expect in your new book yes we've been having a blast writing uh this parent book it's a parent version of no way no way was a book for teens that uh the three of us wrote uh signature opinions and adolescent therapist dr agarwal, agarwal is um, an adolescent medicine doctor, and the three of us teamed up in no way to talk about emotion, sleep, a non-diet approach to food, um, and all of that was circular, you know, all really important in building um, confident eaters, and, and we're so happy to be talking about these things for parents because we work so much with parents, and uh, it's been fun because we've included some new things like the importance of food diversity and creating a friendship with food and body and teaching parents to teach their kids to be critical viewers of the media. And so we've gotten some extra bits in there. And so it's it's been great, you know, writing that. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Is there a date in mind when it will be released? Um, we think it's going to be out the end of this year. So oh, hopefully, wow. if all goes well, we'll have it in 2021. Oh, that is so fantastic. And, you know, when I'm on, on you know, listservs or Facebook groups, this is no way often will pop up as a, as a book that is recommended. And the three of you coming from three different kind of professional backgrounds just provides that richness, which uh, young people, I'm sure, would, um, you know, really relate to. It's not, a, it's not a nutrition book. It's not a fluffy self-care book. 
it, it actually is, it's written, you can, if I can say, you can really tell that the three of you have really channeled your inner team in writing it, yeah. it's, you know, it's really cool. I love it. Yeah, it's written for teens and it's like bite-sized chapters that are really mm -hmm. easy to digest for the kid. Um, and there's workbook kind of exercises for them. And we're going to try to do the same. We are doing the same for parents where, well, we're not going to write it like in teen language. <laughs> so, <laughs> but although that if Cigna had her way, she would do it that way. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, the, the workbook style is really fantastic because what it does is invites us to just pause and then contemplate rather than that or the automaticity really of um, just read, 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 read. It's like pause, reflect, make some notes. Yeah. I really like that. I, I, I'm imagining, you know, the if there's anybody here from education, they're like, well, duh, that's just how, that's how learning works. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it really deepens our uh, self-reflection and our capacity to, you know, make any changes or make any shifts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Thank awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. So, um, Wendy, what I would really love just to round us out here is for you to tell people listening where they can find more about you and more about your books and and where you are located not not so much geographically but more um on the web <laughs> great i have a website uh sterlingnutrition.com and you can find me on instagram wendy underscore sterling and also at plate by plate uh approach <laughs> Sorry, I think that's what the hashtag <laughs> is. Um, and uh, we also just launched a website, platebyplateapproach.com. So, um, and I'm on Twitter and, but I don't think you want all that. I mean, maybe you do, but I'm on, I'm on those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. So Twi look Twitter, me up. Twitter's I'm, I'm a weird like, place. <laughs> it, it is, it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more um, on, you know, Instagram, but I'd love to see you all. Well, the thing is, like you referred to before, if you're pulling up your Instagram, you know, and showing photos from Instagram, that is immediately going to pique the curiosity of the young person in the room. They're like, oh, oh, yes. Ooh, hello, yes. Instagram. Yeah, they, hmm. they, yes, they do like it. But it's funny because right after our plate-by-plate -plate approach came out, Casey and I were like, huh, we should have an Instagram for the book. It was like after the book came out. And then we did that. And then we looked at each other. We're like, how do we get followers? Like, we had no idea. <laughs> I felt so old. Like, I, I really had no idea. And then we, you know, we started posting and like kind of figured it out. But that was in 2018. It, was, it really wasn't that long mm -hmm. ago. So I'm hence not really knowing my handle. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Well, you know, these days, unless you're like TikToking as well, or, you know, <laughs> we doing... started a TikTok. I did, did it you? once, but I haven't got, yes, I did it once. And I, but I haven't done a second one. And I, so I said to Casey, Casey, we're on TikTok. And she's like, what? And then I'm trying to get her to like do another one, but don't ask. I, I don't know what I'm doing really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us, I mean, it, let's get real. None of us know exactly what we're doing. We're just like <laughs> throwing stuff out there. And if it resonates, great. If it doesn't leave it like, oh, okay, okay, right. good. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy, it has been such a pleasure, pleasure talking with you. Um, you are just such a foundation, um, foundation, my gosh, a fountain of wisdom and knowledge and experience. And um, I, I feel very sure that people listening will now have a better understanding about plate by plate and, and how it kind of fits in with um, nourishing, particularly young people, but all across the age spectrum and culture, gender um, spectrum as well. Um, I, I, uh, 
will say again, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I'm very, very fussy with books I recommend or with resources in general that I recommend. Um, and this one is um, is one of the best for sure. So anybody, oh, any, any dietitians so listening? Yeah, any dietitians listening who are wondering, um, you know, whether you should get it? The answer is yes. Don't hesitate. <laughs> Just grab the book. And also what I've been telling my supervisees is that when they do um, their first kind of intake, maybe even before they've met with um, a family, is request that the family order the book. That's what I've been telling people is the family order the book. You've got the book. It is okay to go through it with them. It doesn't make you less professional. It doesn't, in, in fact, it enhances our professionalism to be standing side by side with families. So just a little tip, I think people find that really helpful is the family to read it or, or start reading it and then work through it together. So all the pictures are there, all the kind of um, so-called kind of instructions are there. Um, it's a really beautiful support. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for sharing it with your listeners. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. So I look forward to keeping in touch and you have a wonderful rest of your day and week. Thank you. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.